the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is, and welcome back as we head into our third of our daily three-hour tour. It is a privilege and an honor to bring back to the show my candidate for governor, our next governor, Karen Taylor Robeson. You can find out more about her on her website, KarenForArizona.com. Karen is K-A-R-R-I-N, Karen for F-O-R, Arizona. Dot com. A lot going on. Karen, welcome back to the show. Congratulations on your recent announcements uh, with regard to fundraising, the polling. Your opponents are going down. You're going up. That is well and justly deserved. How are you? I'm doing great, Seth. Thank you for having me on. And it, it's been a very, very busy few days for sure. Yeah, yes, it has. And you've been putting some great stuff out there. You know, I was going to say it would be natural for me to say I've – Having known you as long as I have, I um, it would be natural for me to say I've never seen you so busy, but it's just not true. <laughs> this is this is you doing in <laughs> politics and running for governor what I have been trying to catch up with you our whole our the entirety of our friendship. This is how hard you work. You are out there working hard. It's not unusual for you. But I I always do like to ask candidates, um it's maybe unfair since you grew up here. Karen, to ask you this question, but where in your travels in Arizona is the most one of the more interesting places you've seen or visited that uh, maybe maybe worth the attention of someone else looking for an interesting road trip? Oh wow! Well, there are so many interesting places yeah. in Arizona, and having grown up here, I I thought I'd seen it all. You know, from <laughs> uh-huh. the Grand Canyon to the to the Mogollon Rim, uh, you know, to the sand dunes down by Yuma. Um, and the Chiricahuas, I mean, the state is just uh, rife with phenomenal places to see and, and go to. And, and, you know, there's a number of them I'd, you know, I'd call out. Well, all right, let me ask you this then. As a, as, a, as a hiker, as a daily hiker, what mountain have you, what's your favorite mountain to hike? Let me try it that way. Well, well, it's actually my favorite canyon, of course, is the Grand Canyon. Yeah, you know, I, I started hiking the Grand Canyon when I was, when I was in first grade. And uh, now I try and do it once or twice a year, and I'm actually quite bummed that I have missed my spring hike, but uh, hopefully we'll be able to, to, to fit a hike in in the fall. But it's just, uh, you know, it's the most beautiful, beautiful place, and, and it just never fails to, to uh, you know, thrill me every time I, I lay eyes on the Grand Canyon. and. And every time I, I uh, emerge from the canyon after a long day's hike. Well, I hope you'll take me on that next trip. I've uh, Every time I've tried to go, something <laughs> came up. I'd love to go and have you as my tour guide. All right, give the give the okay, give well, the. Gonna, we're, we, yeah, go ahead. We're gonna make you do. We're gonna make you do the rim to rim hike with me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm up for it. I've, I've been while well, you're hiking. I'm running. I've been running. So so <laughs> I'm ready for it. Okay. I'll do it with you. I'll do it with you. You and I okay. did. You and I have done a couple races together too in the past. All right. Well. Yeah. Let's let's talk about some some things that will be of of general interest because they are right in front of our face. One of the things that the audience here has been talking about a lot, you've been out there talking about a lot is the Biden administration's getting rid of Title 42, of course our border security problems. Um you know, I I I find it incredibly dishonest 
that this administration wants to get rid of Title 42 because COVID is over, but maintain the mask regulations in public transportation, trains, buses, and airports and airlines because the coronavirus. But you take us to where you want to take us and talk to us about Title 42 and the border. Yeah, well, well, the hypocrisy here would be laughable if it wasn't so serious. Yeah. But, uh, you know, and, and when I entered the race for governor, I decided I'm going down to the border often so that I could see for myself and learn for myself on the ground what's going on. And, you know, even before talk of the repeal of Title 42, it's a bad scene down there. It's a bad situation. And it's only going to get worse. By, by the Biden administration's own estimates, the Department of Homeland Security estimates that the illegal crossings will triple on a daily basis. And if you just look at, at, at the Yuma sector alone, we had nearly 30,000 border cross, illegal border crossings in the month of December. To so do the math, right, in Yuma alone. Yeah. And, and several of my trips to Yuma, they said, okay, they're, they're coming across the border and then they're being dispersed around the country. Yep. The last visit down there just a few weeks ago, that's changed. The situation on the ground is changing. Not everybody's leaving. Right. They're staying. Yep. And now it's putting significant significant strain on the social services and the resources of the local community. And that's just going to get worse. It's going to get worse. And it's already affecting so many people in this country that aren't really connecting the dots of these other pathologies we have. It's easy, perhaps, for people in Manhattan to say, well, that border is just an Arizona-Texas thing. Um, It isn't just an Arizona-Texas thing or a New Mexico thing or a California thing. You look. I, I saw a story, Karen. A terrible story. Uh, five five people overdosed t- to death in Washington D.C. last weekend on fentanyl. That's a border issue. That's a border issue. You want to say a word about the fentanyl crisis in the border? Absolutely. You know, we have last year, right? A hundred thousand people died of fentanyl overdoses, and that's you know those numbers aren't going down. There's not a day or a week that goes by that I don't hear from another mother a classmate, um, a daughter of who know people who died of fentanyl overdose. And I, you know, people don't like to talk about it, but we have a war going on. Mm-hmm. Arizona happens to be on the front lines of a 50-state border war. And if you look at, you know, the, the fentanyl ingredients, right, the precursor ingredients for fentanyl comes from China mm-hmm. to the Mexican cartels mm-hmm. across our border into a neighborhood near you. It's impacting everybody, and we need to call it what it is. If we had a foreign adversary drop a bomb on an American city and kill 100,000 people, we wouldn't look the other way. And yet that's what's going on. So we have to call it what it is, and we in Arizona are paying a disproportionate price, not just an economic price, but the human toll that it is taking in our families, in our communities. It's just unconscionable what's going on and what the Biden administration has allowed to happen thus far and now with the repeal of Title 42. And I might add that the leading candidate, Democrat candidate for governor in Arizona, believes that we should repeal Title 42. Right. That's really a disqualifying position for the governor of Arizona. It seems like it's a unilateral surrender of our defense. It seems like it's a unilateral surrender against not only uh, you know crime but a, uni- a unilateral surrender 
um, towards, you know, ki- the killing of Americans. Uh, I don't know if enough people understand this. I was talking to a mutual friend of ours, someone else who's endorsed you, former drug czar Bill Bennett this morning, and we were talking about it because he was doing some media on it. I don't think most people understand this, but drug overdose is now, now, for the first time, the leading cause of death for people 25 to 45. That's an amazing thing to wrap your head around. More than COVID, more than automobile accidents, more than homicide. That's an amazing thing that's being done to this country. Right, right. So we need to we need to wake up and understand what's going on here. And it's you know it's the drug overdoses, but also let's let's look at just the sheer number of human beings being smuggled into this yep. country yep. by criminal cartels yep. that are now going to have to live in the shadows because Congress has failed to give us. An operating immigration system, and and let's also we could talk about the sex trafficking that's going on. There are going to be generations of people impacted by this lawlessness at the border. And I, you know, you have to ask yourself: Are they completely incompetent in Washington D.C., or is this purposeful? And I'll leave that for the listeners. Yeah, I, I I I understand that razor's edge. I understand it very well. You look at some of the things that they're doing with our youth, and you have to think it's purposeful. Um, I'm I'm guessing they want it to go away. I'm guessing that's why the administration uh, tries to ban uh, aud- uh, aerial drones that that end up on the news or on social media showing the enormity of the problem. I'm guessing they just don't want us to see it because then we can't talk about it or hold them accountable. You have a border plan uh, that will hold our border secure, never mind accountable. Do you want to say a word or two about that? And then I I do, if you have time, I'd love to talk to you about the inflation and the economy problems we have. But if you want to say a word or two about your border uh, plan before we go to break, that would be great. Go ahead. I do do have a plan. It's on my website, KarenForArizona.com. And I spell out, we're going to surge the National Guard. I'm going to call an emergency session at the legislature. It's the first thing I'm going to do because we have to provide the resources to our local law enforcement agents on the border so that they can enforce the law and protect people and property in the state of Arizona. We're going to construct the wall where we can, utilize surveillance technology, which will include drones and cameras and fiber optics and everything else that we that we can. I'm also, and I've been, been very clear, we're going to revoke funding from any city in this state that attempts to designate themselves a sanctuary city. Oh, God bless you. They shouldn't be doing. Um, But if they attempt it, they're going to be on notice that we will do everything in our authority to defund them. And finally, we will work with other governors, other and likely be red state governors, because it seems that the blue (laughs) state governors don't seem to think we have a problem. Uh, But we will be working with other governors because this this crisis is impacting all 50 of our states in this great country. You bet it is. You bet it is. Karen, do you have time for one more segment if I take a quick break and we can talk a little I, economy, or do you got to sure. run? Either way is fine. Um, well, no, we're, we're, we're good. Okay, good. We'll take a quick commercial break. What did Rush call him? Obscene profit breaks. We'll take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back with more from Karen Taylor Robeson. Karen for Arizona.com. K-A-R-R-I-N-F-O-R, Arizona. Running in between events, working hard for uh, the candidacy of uh, governor of Arizona, my candidate for governor of Arizona, Karen Taylor Robeson. Karen, I just uh, will get we'll have longer visits uh, in the future, no doubt, but um, on air. But uh, you wanted to talk about two of the things that most uh, most of uh, your uh, audience sessions, most of your events uh, raise. And that is border, border security, which we talked about. The other one I know you told me a lot of people are asking about the economy. What do, what do, what do you have to say about the economy? 
economy, particularly inflation. We are particularly hard hit here in Maricopa County. I know you know. Uh, but what's your thought on, on what's going on right now economic-wise? Well, Seth, we're, you know, it's no secret we're experiencing the worst inflation in four decades. Yeah. And so Arizona families are just paying more for everything, you know, from gas to groceries. It's, I saw an estimate that it's, it's about $5,000. Oops, did we cut out? <laughs> I know those are some remote places you have to go to. We may have lost they the... Spend so- money and yeah. spend and spend, you know? I mean, and they're not spending their money. They're spending our money. They're right. spending our kids' and our grandkids' money. They're gonna, our kids and grandkids will be paying this off for a generation. And, you know, hopefully the Democrats at some point wake up and learn that you can't spend your way into prosperity. You can't do it. You can't build prosperity on the backs of your, our kids and our grandkids. Karen, you have worked in the private sector um, almost, uh, I think so, yeah, almost your whole life, if not your whole life. And uh, yeah. that's correct, isn't it? You've been in the private sector your whole life until now, right? Um, well, but I, you've I done a lot of government. Started, I actually started, yeah, I started at the White House for Ronald Reagan when I graduated from college. But uh, the most of my life has been in the private sector. Oh, well, that's a Mrs. Years. Lincoln, how did you like the play kind of thing. Well, aside from working for Ronald Reagan, <laughs> yeah, I've been in the Okay. All right. All right. Yeah, yeah that, 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 that small detail, yes. But you've done also right. a lot of work on behalf of clients with federal agencies, state agencies, a lot of governmental agencies, Karen. It's not about not having enough money. It's, it really isn't. We have plenty of money. It's about will, isn't it? It's about the willpower to use it the right ways, isn't it? Absolutely. We don't, we don't have a uh, uh, – we, we have a spending problem. Yeah. You know, if any of us in our, in our household, if we spent more money than we made, we'd soon be out of the house. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a simple math equation. And we don't have the luxury at home of printing money like the federal government has. But again, how long is it going to take the Democrats to figure that out? They've tried this before. They'll, you know, just to think about uh, the days of Jimmy Carter. Yep. It doesn't work. No, no, that's exactly right. So, which is why I love your economic plan. Care too. about Yeah, we got to care about Arizona families and the the cost of the Biden inflation. Let's just call it what it is. It's a Biden tax. It's a Biden tax. It's a tax nobody voted for, and they shouldn't be hoodwinked into thinking that, you know, whatever the jobs report is or if they get a little bit of a raise at their corporations, that it's not being eaten up by this inflation, which is driven by the spending policies. And I know you to be a budget hawk and a spending hawk, which is another reason I love your candidacy so dang much, just as I love you and your family. Karen, I know you have to run. Thanks for stopping by uh, or at least being yeah. able to call in real quick. Thank we'll have longer visits in the future, but Godspeed to you, and congrats on all the great news on your campaign Thank this you. week. Thank you. Thank you, Seth. You betcha. Thank you for having me on. You betcha. KarenForArizona.com, K-A-R-R-I-N-F-O-R, Arizona.com, KarenForArizona.com. By the way, folks, before I hit the break, Just a story I wanted to put on your radar screen. It's not a happy story at all, but it does go to the kind of thing we we get used to. And it also goes to an interesting level of, uh, you know, censorship in this sense, this sense. You tell me um, where else you would have heard this story today, okay? San Francisco Chronicle headline, Colleagues worry Dianne Feinstein is now mentally unfit to serve. 
citing recent interactions. Has that been a headline anywhere? This is a major United States senator, head of major committee. Dianne Feinstein is now mentally unfit to serve, according to colleagues. You've got to read the story at sfchronicle.com. It's amazing, and I can't believe it's not being covered more widely. I'm surprised it got printed in the first place. When a California Democrat in Congress recently engaged in an extended conversation with Senator Dianne Feinstein, they prepared for a rigorous policy discussion like those they'd had with her many times over the last 15 years. Instead, remember, Democrat, instead, the lawmaker said they had to reintroduce themselves to Feinstein multiple times during an interaction that lasted several hours. Rather than delve into policy, Feinstein, 88, repeated the same small talk questions like asking the lawmaker what mattered to voters in their district, they said, with no apparent recognition the two had already had that conversation. It's in the same meeting. The episode was so unnerving that the lawmaker, who spoke to the Chronicle on condition they not be identified because of the sensitivity of the topic, began raising concerns with colleagues to see if some kind of intervention to persuade Feinstein to retire was possible. Feinstein's term runs through the end of 2024. The conversation occurred several weeks before her husband passed away in February. Quote, I have worked with her for a long time and long enough to know what she was like just a few years ago, always in command, always in charge, on top of the details, basically couldn't resist a conversation where she was driving some bill or some idea. All that is gone, the lawmaker said. That's an amazing statement. All of that is gone. She was an intellectual and political force not that long ago, and that's why my encounter with her was so jarring, because there was just no trace of that. Get this. I won't go too much farther. Four U.S. senators, including three Democrats, as well as three former Feinstein staffers and the California Democratic member of Congress, told the Chronicle in recent interviews that her memory is rapidly deteriorating. That's not a small number. Four U.S. senators, including three of whom are Democrats, that's not a small number. What they will do to hold on to power is incredible in that party. It's incredible. But, you know, it's an interesting time in California, too, when you think about Gavin Newsom gearing up to run for governor and some really interesting people who are coming out to run against him, like Michael Schellenberger. You guys been following some of his work and some of his efforts? I believe he's running as an independent, interestingly enough. But I also believe uh, this is one of those kinds of candidacies where an independent could have a shot, especially with the kind of uh, resources he has behind them. He's the author of that great book, San Francisco, San Francisco, excuse me, San Francisco is the name of the book, about how you have taken a wonderful city in San Francisco and ruined it. You have totally ruined it. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of needles given away, just given away throughout that city to end up in people's arms and then on the streets and then in arms again, the same needles. That's just one aspect. You can – my gosh, uh, Rep. Butler, how did he put it? He said what people forget is it's just as easy to make money building up society as it is tearing it down. A lot of people on the trough in California are making a lot of money tearing it down. And um, boy, I, I, I hope there's a rescue there. I hope – there's a rescue there, not because I have any great sympathy for California. But, yeah, you know what? It's still part of my country and they're still part of my people. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. 
Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. It is a delight to bring back a uh, dear longtime friend, Andrew C. McCarthy. Andy McCarthy is a senior fellow at the National Review Institute, a contributing editor at National Review, and the author of several books, including Ball of Collusion, The Plot to Rig an Election and Destroy a Presidency. Andy, thanks for joining us. As always, welcome back to the Airwaves of Phoenix. It's always a pleasure, and uh, it's good to be heard in Phoenix even if it would be better to be in Phoenix. <laughs> it's a nice place to be, I'll tell you, right about now. Right about I now. Bet. Let me talk to you about a place you're from for a few moments. I want to talk to you about two things. Well, let's start with the place you're from. You had a piece in the New York Post that I thought was important. Why accused Brooklyn subway shooter Frank James can be tried as a terrorist. I thought, Andy, the first thing the newly inaugurated uh, police commissioner said when she said it a couple of days ago at the press conference that this did not look to be like an act of terror. I thought it was premature and I thought it was odd. And I don't know if you thought yeah. that was premature and odd. We didn't even know who he was at that point. Seth, it was premature. I wish it were odd. Okay. But as you know, because we've talked about this for uh, more years than either of yeah. us <laughs> cares to remember, yeah. um, I, one of the big things I complained about in my uh, memoir about prosecuting the blind Shea case in the 90s, is that in 1990, which is now, uh, I'm, I'm, I shudder to say, uh, 32 years yeah, ago, yeah. but when uh, Saeed Nosser famously uh, killed Rabbi Meyer Kahana in, in front of a, you know, a room full of people at a hotel, the chief of detectives of the New York City Police Department got out before any meaningful investigation at all could be done, uh, you know, within a day or so, and said that this was the act of a lone gunman. There was no reason to think there was any uh, religious motivation or any of that sort of thing. And, of course, you know, Nosir not only was, all they needed to do was go through his materials to know he was not only a jihadist, but he ended up being one of the prime movers of the World Trade Center plot, the, the bombing that happened three years later. Mm -hmm. So, you know, unfortunately, they, you know, they've been doing this for 30 years, and they don't seem to... You know, no one ever seems to learn from it. Uh, I don't think anybody believes them when they say <laughs> you know, that they're uh, that they can't determine a terrorism motive. And I never, for the life of me, said it's not like if you if you tell people you're investigating something that's obviously a terroristic act as an act of terrorism, it doesn't oblige you to make particular charges. You know, all it means is that you're investigating it with a theory and that you can bring to bear all of the appropriate law enforcement resources, including the Joint Terrorism Task Force, which mm -hmm. is where the NYPD works together with the FBI. So you bring to bear all the federal resources as well. Why wouldn't you want to do that if, uh, you, know, if you could? Well, that brings up two other questions, Andy. Thank you for putting it that way and that, and that, and that memory as well, because that's right. I do remember it going down that way with uh, the Nocera Kahani assassination. Um, it raises two other questions. One is, as you point out in your article, this was pretty much an ipso facto terrorism case from the moment we knew what happened, even if we didn't know who it was because of how we handle attacks on mass transit systems. One, I'll let you respond to that or this however you want. Two, is there some kind of allergy? Is it a politically correct thing? Is there an allergy for denying or, you know, ab initio denying that this would be a terrorist theory? Yeah, well, I think there's two things going on here, Seth. And if you read the – I haven't been too critical yet of the uh, Eastern District of New York complaint that they filed in the case. Right. But as long as we're talking, 
Um, <laughs> as, long you know, as, as long as your Irish is up, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, well, number one, you know, um, a, a part of the idiocy of not saying that this was a terrorist attack is in most terrorism cases, and certainly this was the case before uh, the law got uh, overhauled after the World Trade Center was bombed in the 90s, um, you have to prove motive. You know, mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a definition of terrorism sure. where it basically says that you have to intimidate a civilian population or a government mm-hmm. uh, into trying to, you know, change its policies and, and what have you. So that's what the violence has to be motivated by. But there are some uh, some terrorist actions that are that so obviously speak out that motivation in just the way that they're they're carried out, right. that you don't have to prove motive because it's obvious. And one of them is attacking a mass transit system. So if someone attacks a mass transit system, you should investigate that as terrorism. You might even call it terrorism you know, per it se, right? I mean, that's kind of what that it, phrase means. It, it, well, well, if you look at the federal statute, it's interesting you say that because that statute does not require the government to prove motive. There you go. So it assumes <laughs> by the nature of the attack that you're that you're dealing with terrorism, and, you, and it says at the top of the statute, terrorism. You know, so um, that's their, <laughs> tells, that's their it kind uh, of it it. gives you that. Let me take a quick quick break here, Andy, yep. and let's pick up on it on the way back on the other side of the break, if we can. That other part of that question too, which is, is there some kind of allergy to that to that phrase, or yep. or, or is there a politically correct motive behind? I'm Seth Leibson. He's Andrew. C. McCarthy, Senior Fellow at the National Review Institute. We will be right back. Delighted to have Andrew C. McCarthy with us. Andy McCarthy, among other things, is a contributing editor at National Review and the author of, among other books, Ball of Collusion, The Plot to Rig an Election and Destroy a Presidency. In your New York piece, uh, New York Post piece, Andy, that we've been talking about, uh, and we were just talking about, you know, identifying uh, the alleged shooter, Frank James, uh, with, you know, charging him with with terrorism charges. You were talking about the statute he was charged under didn't even really require it doesn't even really require an inve- a deep dive into motive because it's practically per se based on the fact that it is on a mass transit system, making all the more curious the immediate upfront dismissal that this was a terrorist investigation, at least to the layman like me. Yeah, and here is where Seth, we get into, I alluded before to the Eastern District of New York yeah. federal complaint, yeah. Yeah. which I think is fine in the sense that they go right ahead and charge the terrorism count as they should. But I just think it's very interesting that there's a ton of information out there that James is an anti-white racist. Right. Um, that's just a fact. You know, so I don't think it's something we ought to hide under our our beds. To, oh, I'll to, go one further for it. reading reading what I've read that 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 people not at the New York Times and the Washington Post were willing to do a deep dive into his social media. In other words, I I think he calls for race wars. Quite simply, yes, and and I think Jeff that uh, if you look at the Eastern District's complaint, they cut that part of it out. Yeah. You know, it's one thing to say that you know prosecutors don't have to prove motive in the sense that it's not an element of the offense right but they prove it in almost every case because juries expect a, a government proof to be rational yeah. and they want to know why the people did what they did so motive enters into almost every criminal case even if you don't have to prove it number one and number two i mean let's be real if this guy was a white anti-black racist that would be the first last and only thing we would be hearing about this case, you bet. And yet here, they they have bleached it out of their 
charges. They don't mention that. They they say he's whipped up about the homeless, and he doesn't know what the, you know Mayor Adams is doing about the homeless. Right. As if that was the only thing that was bothering him. And I think the other thing going on here, Seth, very frankly, is you say what's obviously to be gleaned from looking at this social media output that this guy has. Right. And I think they think that, well, if you and I can read that and say that this guy's a wrong number and somebody ought to be keeping an eye on him, why wasn't somebody keeping right. an eye on him? Yeah. So if you draw attention to what you know his obvious motive is, it, it begs the question: you know, why on earth were not was this guy not being more closely monitored? You do have to kind of chalk it up to a politically correct attitude, I suppose, pending some other some other rational reason for this, right? I mean, that would be the first obvious thing that that one has to think about uh, the Department of Justice's uh, prosecution here, right? If this was a, I, I just have to say, if this yeah. guy was a white uh, supremacist, look, the Democrats have, from the beginning, from the time before even Biden took office, they proposed this uh, domestic terrorism prevention act, right. which was explicitly designed to combat what they said was neo-Nazism and white racism and went out of its way to not include jihadism yep. in it. So this has been their theme, and they've tried to turn January 6th Whitmer kidnapping and, uh, you know, everything else they've done is to suggest to everybody that, you know, the country's about to be overthrown by neo-Nazis. So if this was a white racist, you would have heard about yeah. it in the complaint. Yeah. But he's the opposite. He's a racist, but he's the racist from the other end, and they don't want to talk about yeah, it. Yeah, so you have to read Byron York or Andy No to get the real truth or the real story here. Uh, exactly. Andy, you had another piece over at National Review. I just wanted to get a couple minutes of your time and brain on, if I could. Chinese partners financed Biden's spending spree while Biden sought visa help for them. Your point is, if I read you right, and boy, you do a great job here in laying it out, this is more or should be more than just an IRS tax investigation into Hunter Biden, yeah? Yes, uh, and, you know, another thing about this is, and this is more inside baseball, but I think it's important for people to know, in almost every kind of case across the country, in a criminal case, the U.S. Attorney's Office in the place where the crime is being investigated and usually where it's been committed yeah. runs the investigation. Uh-huh. A big exception is tax cases. Sure. Tax cases are run by tax division in Maine Justice. Right. And I have to wonder, since it seems to me that the tax piece of the Hunter investigation is the least interesting and compelling aspect of it, why carry it as a tax case unless it's to give Maine Justice more of a say in how it gets conducted? Andy, how serious a problem is the Department of Justice right now with its having been accused of being so political over the last, I don't know, five, six, seven years, maybe longer. How is it a serious problem? Is political correctness, as we talked about in the earlier case, is it a serious problem at the Department of Justice? I mean, it's become serious in a lot of institutions we didn't think were pervious to it. Turns out they are. Yeah, I think it's very serious. I mean, look, just in the last two weeks, we had one acquittal of a a guy in connection with the January 6th case where it was clearly an overzealous investigation and prosecution, and they dragged a guy back 2,000 miles to Washington from Santa Fe to charge him with four petty misdemeanors mm-hmm. when he when his crime was being present in the Capitol. No one said that he, you know, he didn't do anything violent, he didn't threaten a police officer, he didn't, uh, you know, much less commit any violence against anyone. Uh, he was there, and it turned out that he told them he had been waved in by police, and he there was photographic evidence that corroborated that, and they brought him back 
to try him anyway. Mm-hmm. And of course, the case got the, not only did the case get thrown out, they have three or four hundred other cases that are just like that. You know, oh, these, these uh, Nimrods who decided to you know ogle their way through the Capitol after you know after most of the bad stuff that happened. And in a case, in a normal case, the Justice Department wouldn't be scorching the earth to find those people. They'd be dealing with if the Justice Department just dealt with the violent people on on January sixth, they could be trying cases for three to five years. They yeah. don't need these other four hundred cases. Uh, and then you had the Whitmer kidnapping. That whole thing collapsed because it was clearly uh, an overwrought investigation. You've had you know stuff going on in the Civil Rights Division that makes you uh, that makes you scratch your head. Um, you know, I, I think it's pretty. I think it's pretty serious, and it seems to me that you know. Look, I always say, criminal prosecution is not a passion play. A, a trial is a search for the truth, and if you decide that you're going to let the political messaging lead your prosecutions rather than derive your your messaging from what the prosecutions can actually prove. You're asking for trouble, and I think we have trouble. We have a lot of trouble. Well, you'll help. Uh, you'll help us straighten it out. Andy McCarthy, always so good talking to you. Thank you, sir. Thank you, friend. Thanks, Seth. Godspeed. Have a good holiday weekend. I'm Seth Leibson. We'll be right back. Thank you all for spending some of your afternoon with us. It means a ton to us that you would allow us into your hearts, your heads, your cars, your living rooms, your homes, wherever you are. It really does. We take none of it or you for granted. Really appreciate being with you. And as many of you will have uh, tomorrow on the long weekend off, I just want to uh, wish you all, uh, whether you're celebrating uh, Passover or Easter, I want you to have a very uh, appropriately happy, healthy, and safe one. Uh, let me go back uh, on that thought uh, to where I was in my monologue a few hours ago. You think about um, this weekend, obviously, all the religious implications. I also think about the American implications when I think about what Clinton Rossiter once said about Abraham Lincoln. He called him the Christ martyr of America's democratic passion play, shot as he was on Good Friday and dying on Easter weekend. Uh, If you are looking for some civic religion, political religion, some political history or American history this weekend beyond your religious celebrations and obligations, read some Lincoln. Read some Lincoln. This is a world of compensations, he said, and he who would be no slave must, must also consent to have no slave. Those who deny freedom to others deserve it not for themselves and under a just God cannot long retain it. Abraham Lincoln, there is no shortage. I can give you a list of books, but I would start with uh, I would start with uh, Abraham Lincoln, Redeemer President by Alan Gelzo. And if you want to get a little more complicated, anything by Harry V. Jaffa, including Crisis of a House Divided or A New Birth of Freedom. You won't go wrong with any of that. In fact, to use a phrase Lincoln might use, you might just go right. Folks, God bless you all. Class dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.